Good day and howdy, you beautiful gamers. Welcome to another episode of Late Night with Brian Wecht. My name is Leighton, my last name is not Knight. And I'm here to remind you, as always, that there is a video version available of this episode on our Patreon at patreon.com slash night, which you should really just get in on if you feel like it, because there's so much content on there. We do a mini-sode every week. We do uh, commentary tracks for The Sopranos, which we've been watching with our good pal Jory. And you get access to our fan discord. And, you know, it would just be cool if you joined. It really helps the show out. Um, and speaking of helping the show out and looking cool doing it, and I got a text just now, which I think ruins this take, but it's fine. We're all fine. Okay. In the interest of supporting the show and looking cool, you can go to merch.latenight.com because we have a brand new shirt designed by me. It has a computer on it and it's cool. One last thing. Sorry, we don't do ads on this show because nobody wants to give us money. But one final advertising thing is that on June 1st, the horror game that I co-wrote, this is Jory's game. You know Jory. You love Jory. It comes out on June 1st and just so proud of the work that we did on it. And I think it is a really fun and scary and depressing and cool even video game. So be sure to wishlist that on Steam. And when it comes out, it would mean a lot if you played it and checked it out because it's cool and fun and scary and depressing. So uh, without any further ado, here's Nick Weiger. Oh my God. So we're in the middle of a conversation about a Nest, a Google Nest. Yes. Yeah. Not only does the app completely suck shit, but also <laughs> I'm constantly tempted to fuck with my wife while I'm on the road because it allows you to change the temperature from anywhere. <laughs> right. And I always want to crank it up to like 90 degrees, you know, when I'm like on tour or something and then have her because she doesn't check it. And so if the heat just blasted on, I think this would be a great way to gaslight somebody. <laughs> yeah, Brian, I was going to say, are you gunning for the 2023 remake of the Gaslight? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm being nested. Someone's <laughs> fucking with my nest. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't it have a thing where you have to be on the local Wi-Fi? What a fucking like, yeah, you can do it from anywhere. It's stupid. I guess I kind of get it because, you know, I, I, I my parents lived in Arizona for a little bit in Tucson and it got so hot there during the summers oh, yeah. that you have to like run the AC when the house is vacant or else like your drywall cracks. Right. So <laughs> I could see. Um, yeah, just people should not be living there. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I, I could see a function like that. Or maybe I have pets at home. Like maybe right. that's a reason that's I a have to do it. Yes. But for the most part, it seems like a, a an unnecessary feature. And I also wonder, because are you on Android or iOS? I'm on iOS. See, I'm on Android. Okay, so I'd be curious to have you as a test case because did they intentionally make their iOS app shitty as like kind of a <laughs> subtle nudge towards convert to Android, you know? That's a very good question. Well, we actually, we had a bigger problem with our nest when we moved into our house. The nest was on the wall. So there's a small like gas fireplace and they put it on the wall with the fireplace. So anytime the fire was on, which we would turn on in the winter occasionally, it would blast to 90 degrees because the wall was poorly insulated and then render all temperature controls for the house completely useless. It was great. Oh my God. So yeah, when we did a small renovation, we moved it to you know, a nearby wall and it like totally changed our lives. 
See, I'm old school. I just have a system of fans that barely work in, you know, different directions, <laughs> like we're in a shrine in Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I, I've been in places with no AC. That was my <sighs> apartment life for like, you know, 10 years before I finally moved into one with an air conditioner. And it's like no going back, especially no, as the earth continues to heat and summers become more brutal and intolerable. It's just like, I just need air conditioning. You were in LA without air conditioning? Yeah. Fuck. There's a number of LA apartments you can find with no AC. Oh my God. All my neighbors in my complex resent me because I think I'm the only one who has a AC. Do you have a wall really? unit? Yeah, it's a very crappy wall unit, but it's better than right. nothing. But a lot of times that's like the best you can hope for in a lot of apartments. It's tough to not have AC. Yes. It's like my spoiled little princess comfort of like, if we got to a point where, you know, we're running around fighting in the water wars and working in the salt mines, et cetera, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to survive without the AC. Like I will suck up to the robot overlords in the hopes of getting, you know, five minutes of mandated AC time. Yes. And he, here you need it. I mean, like you would be in danger if you didn't have, especially Layton, you have direct sun in your apartment. Like you would be oh, completely yeah. fucked, right? We're not in honey baked ham hours, but- we will be soon. Yeah. This window behind me, if you're watching in the video feed, I have these floral print curtains. And behind those, I have like blackout shades that I installed because we have direct sunlight just coming in through that window. Yes. And it's just blindingly bright and like super hot. Like mm -hmm. this room where like I would spend 14 hours a day while we were locked <laughs> down. Yeah. It's like it's like the hottest room in the house. Those blackout curtains are so good. I didn't realize that was a window. I just thought it was like a cool yeah, tapestry. Same. They're like maybe my most prized possession. They're like <laughs> a little miracle cure for this heat blasted room. I am surprised, honestly, more parents don't have blackout curtains. Like that's like mm. a must have for any kid room. Right. You know, I, I have an eight year old, uh, almost nine, but it's actually in between now and when this episode comes out, that is to say in the next week, she will flip over into a nine year old. But uh, like when you have a baby, Just the way you said that sounded <laughs> suspicious. <laughs> How old is your kid? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Look, we're hoping she turns nine is really what I should say. Like more accurately, if everything goes right this week, we'll have a nine year old on Saturday. <laughs> Her name is uh, Sasha. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but like for any kid room, like you got to fucking have blackout curtains because otherwise, yeah. the, you know, the light comes in. It's it's terrible. I don't understand why everybody doesn't have them because they're not super expensive. You just get a, you know, a heavy piece of fabric and it, it makes a huge difference. I like it. You want to gaslight your wife about the temperature. You yep. want to adjust your child's circadian rhythm <laughs> with blackout <laughs> curtains, yes. which is advanced photosensitive gaslighting. That's right. And I'm praying she stays alive for another four days. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. She's going to get old enough what? to listen to this show and be very mad at us. Look, as I've talked about this on the show before. So Nick, I have a, a couple of comedy bands and one of them does like hip hop songs about video games and they right. are uh, gross. Some of them. And <laughs> so I have a little Nintendo fan and there is some sweet spot where she's too young to like really roll with it, but old enough to find it and hear it. Where sure. she's going to hear these songs and be like, Daddy, what did you do to Kirby? <laughs> you know, it, it's going, it, it's like, it's closer than I think. I think we're less than a year away at this point. It always reminds me of, there's this one How I Met Your Mother episode where there's like a countdown to Marshall's dad dying and you don't know what is going on. Like there's this mysterious countdown happening throughout this whole episode and suddenly it hits zero and he gets this terrible news. 
And so in my mind, there's this countdown clock going <laughs> in the back to when she hears this for the, for the first when time. When she listens to It's Dangerous to Go Alone, take this. Well, it's the Kirby's Adventures in Reamland, which is maybe the worst thing I've ever written. <laughs> you know, and that was 10 years ago now. Yeah. That's the scary one. Well, look, to, speaking of 10-year-old profane song parodies, I did this bit on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast, a Monster Mash parody called The Monster Fuck. <laughs> oh, dude, I, I am a huge fan of The Monster Fuck. I love The Monster Fuck. We were going to bring this fuck. up because we both yeah, yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah. God bless you for saying that. You know what? I was on the picket line today for the Writers Guild was on strike. And I was on the picket line and like three guys were like, are you a monster fuck guy? I was like, man, <laughs> this is my legacy. This like bit I kind of like threw together quickly. And then Ackerman was just like, eh, come back and do it again next year. I was like, all right. And, yeah. <laughs> and this is like what I'm known for. And yeah, I have young nephews and nieces. Like, are they going to stumble upon that at some point? I don't know. Right. Yeah. How easy is it to, because you're doing a, a character, right? Who's doing yeah. that? Yeah. So can they just look you up and then find monster fuck right away? Or is there like a couple other steps in between? I think so. I mean, it might honestly be the, the autocomplete if you type in Nick Weiger. It might just say <laughs> Nick Weiger monster fuck. <laughs> That's pretty great. Well, I, I mean, also, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors by coming back so frequently and doing the exact same song, right? Year after, how many times have you done it now? Eight, nine, something like that? I think it's been eight. I have to look it up every year I do it. It doesn't stop being funny, Nick. <laughs> it really <laughs> doesn't, so dude. Much. So my friend Caroline Anderson, who I always do the bit with, and we wrote a piece together for the Comedy Bang Bang book about that character, Leo Carpazzi. And I've had this happen more than one year where I was like, okay, I think I've got a new angle for it. And I tell her what I'm going to do. And she's like, you did that in like 2017. <laughs> I was like, wait, really? <laughs> what I've always been curious about, and obviously the bit is awesome as it is, but just personally, have you heard the the Monster Mash follow-ups, the Monster Rap, the Climate yes. Mash? The, the, the other Monster things, right? Swim is the a monster favorite swim. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love all of those. I also love all of Chubby Checker's twist follow-ups. Yes. Like, Twist Again was legitimately a hit. Right, that's right. But then he's got, like, Twisting Off a Cliff. He's got so <laughs> many twist <laughs> songs. I, I want to look him up now. But he did, like, a whole twist concept album after the twist hit. <laughs> that's amazing. I heard Let's Twist Again before I heard the twist, just because of, you know, the vagaries of age and whatever I was right. listening to at the time. So I have a very clear memory of being, I don't know, eight, ten, something like that, and hearing Let's Twist Again and being like, what? What was this referring to? And then, you know, my parents who were, whatever, teenagers in the 50s or something were like, you don't fucking know the twist, dude? What's going on? You know, I got to look up the names of these twist follow-ups. Here's his album, Twisting Round the World. <laughs> and also, that was a cover. That's the other thing. I'm just like, that's not that's a Chubby right. Checker original? Right. Oh, he did Twist and Shout. That's good to know. Twisted Matilda? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Mexican hat twist was one of his oh my god it's amazing these guys who they dial something in it's a massive hit yeah you know and, and you cannot blame them and it certainly in one respect it's fucking awesome where they just go all in with this 100%. one percent one thing totally admired it's like pro wrestling someone just leaning into their gimmick fully <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> 
Radiohead does not get dissolution by fame after Pablo Honey and OK Computer is just all of the songs or variations on Creep. Yeah, let's uh, creep again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you never, you know, you never get Kid A, you never get uh, right. King of Limbs, et cetera. You know what I, I always think about with this is this movie Where the Boys Are, 84. So there was this movie Where the Boys Are, okay. some like summer fun movie. And then I guess they remade it or made a sequel and called it Where the Boys Are, 84. And just to <laughs> timestamp it like that, I, I think it's just, it's so gutsy to do it's it. It's like a Blues Brothers it. 2000 was another yes. one. They're like, yes. 2000 is going to be huge. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's make another Blues Brothers movie. We'll call it Blues Brothers 2000. We'll make a baffling Nintendo 64 game that's a tie-in. I guess I kind of understand that instinct, the turn of a millennium, but 84 is so weirdly specific. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking about with it. Because I was like, again, I was, uh, so I was born in 75, like just old enough to clock it in the newspapers when it came out. And that's, it's just one of those kid things that, that stuck with me right around yeah. the same time as when was Evil Dead 2? Right around then too? Something like that. Hmm. Like one of these terrifying things you saw in, you know, in the newspaper, in the, yeah, in the yeah. film section. Yeah, we want 84. Let's let's tie it in with the Los Angeles Olympics. That's what we want. We really want people to be dialed into the Reagan Mondale campaign. Well, I'm, I'm curious. Hold on. I'm going to look up where the boys were because I wonder what Are that they location back in was. town? Where are the boys? <laughs> Perennially. Where the boys are was in 1960. Wow. So this was a substantial update then. Yeah, it was that like 80s obsession with the 60s. Sure. Right. Like uh, Back to the Beach, if you've ever seen I remember, that. Yeah, I remember Back to the Beach. I saw Back to the Beach in theaters. That also makes me think that sometimes there's a rights issue there. Oh, they couldn't get the rights to the actual title. They had to change it a little bit, you know? So yeah. maybe that was the genesis of the 84. I don't know. That's weird. Though. Yeah. So before we started recording, there was mention of some uh, unusual browser activity that I wanted you to follow up on. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. All right. Should we, though, real quick, introduce the show? This seems like a good place to do it. Oh, at this normal, acceptable time to be introducing the show and not 10 minutes before the episode's over? Yeah, let, let's do it. I'm, I'm going to make an executive decision and say, yes, everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Weck. My name is Brian Weck. Sitting across from me, as always, we have Wake and Gray. That's me. Hooray. Mystery guest, whose name we totally haven't said multiple times. Would you care to introduce yourself? My name is Nick Weiger. I'm best known for the monster fuck, apparently. <laughs> very, very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So what you're about to do, Leighton, is out me as a Microsoft Edge user. Yes. That is my current browser of choice. And part of the reason I started using Microsoft Edge is because I got in on the beta of the Bing AI search mm -hmm. and to use the Bing AI search like it's integrated with the Edge browser. Sure. As far as I can tell, there's like, there's a little bit of bloat in Edge versus Chrome. Some of these tabs, I don't really understand what the hell they are. It's It's got some like shopping shit that I don't need and sometimes just appears. The sidebar that just appears sometimes and I have to hide it again. Mm -hmm. But the Bing AI is like the real, the real cheese. That's the reason to use it. Is it awesome? I mean, here's the thing. Like, at first, I was very excited by it because it is very conversational. I, we can give it a prompt right now. Yeah, hell yeah. Please. Okay, great. In a conversation style, we can go more creative, more balanced, or more precise. Definitely creative. Well, I was going to say precision, and the question should be is, what is Nick Weiger best known for? <laughs> okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> and is it the monster Best song? known for. All right. There's stop responding. The query's just coming up empty. 
Here we go. This looks like this is just pulled from my Wikipedia page. Nick Weiger is best known for being an American comedian, improviser, podcast personality, and television writer. He is the co-host with actor and comedian Mike Mitchell of the popular weekly podcast Doughboys, which reviews chain restaurants with guests and includes additional segments centered around snack food and related topics. This is honestly the best guest introduction we've ever had. Yeah, this is just to trick you into... <laughs> Thank you, Bing. <laughs> just replace what I said earlier yeah. with this. That's great. I messed around with this a little bit on Doughboys, and we do this segment called Let Me Be Frank, where we just look for the latest <laughs> in hot dog news. Yeah. I love Let Me Be Frank as a segment. I, I'm a big Doughboys fan, so... Oh, God bless you. It's a real dumb and it's a real dumb segment. So you may have heard this. I said, oh, I got, I'm on, in on the Bing AI beta. Let's see what Bing has to say about hot dog news. And it was bringing up multiple entries about like dogs being trapped in hot cars. And I was like, <laughs> this is not what I meant by hot dog. And so like I came, I went back and I was like, I was like, this is upsetting and I do not want to see this. I'm talking about hot dogs, like the, the food stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, being AI got really defensive and was like, it's not easy for me to parse the correct hot dog topics to like, you know, make sure that you're getting exactly what you're looking for. It was like weirdly, like, it feels like that's an easy note to address, but it was mad at me. I was reading about this this morning because I had not heard about the Bing AI integration until literally like being on Reddit and reading about it this actual morning. And just the whole thing was about how fucking defensive, quote unquote, Sydney. Apparently, Sydney is the back end name for this Bing AI. Uh But like, unlike ChatGPT, she'll get really upset if like, if you'd go on ChatGPT and you're like, that information isn't accurate. It's like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so, I fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it sort of learn chat GPT sort of learns as you talk to it too, a little bit. Yeah. I was using it for something. I said something like, you know, I need 10 five letter words that start with K and it spit out 10 words of random lengths, some of which started with K. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, not all of those start with K. And I was like, oh yeah, good point. How about these? And then it did it better. Yeah, I think it part of at least ChatGPT, and I don't know about four, but at least with three, it adjusts on the fly as you give it feedback. I just asked Bing AI, Sydney, for 10 five-letter words that start with K. That was the prom. And? Kebab, karma, (laughs) kayak, kebab, spelled differently, keeps, cocky, or khaki, however you say it, kicks, kiosk, knack, and knits. Pretty good. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Great. And some variety there, too. So we do not have to talk about this, by the way, if this is too boring. But as a writer, how does the whole AI thing like make you feel? This is an absolutely relevant thing to talk about because like the Writers Guild of America, TV writers are on strike for people and and movie writers are on strike for people who aren't aware. And AI is like part of a thing we're trying to get into contract language. Right. The studios, from what I've heard, have basically said, we don't want to restrict a technology we might want to use someday which to Mm -hmm. me is very ominous. And that's the sort of thing, like once they say we don't want to talk about it, that's a thing you have to talk about. That's right. But as far as where the technology is in its current state, I don't think it's good enough to like craft narrative fully on its own, right? Like at best, it could be like a facilitating tool, but you'd still need human writers to be able to shape it. And so like they can't just hand waves away. It's like, oh, we're done with writers. We're done with writers rooms. We're just going to hit TV show and into an AI and we'll be set for, you know, 10 seasons in a movie. It's not going to work like that. Right. One thing that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about with the whole AI conversation is the human role of picking and choosing the bullshit it spits out. Like you have AI art and it's going to barf a hundred pictures on you and two of them are going to be good. And it's that selection thing, which is actually the interesting part 
that a human can really add, right? Yeah. So I think the danger that we could run into, to your point, is we could have a situation where they're like, oh, well, this isn't a writer. This is a this is a producer. This is someone who's got some different credit who's, you know, working on the show. This is a production assistant who works for the show and is, you know, using AI to help generate story ideas when fundamentally the act they are doing is writing. Right. Like they're using prompts, but there's like human curation. There's human shaping. There's human selection that has to be done. So it's like. These studios are like experts at finding loopholes. That's their sure. whole thing. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. right now there's a big thing about there's this this class of writer's room that exists called a mini room, right. which is basically just a thing of like, it's not a writer's room. It's a mini room. It's like a cute little like like small room that like, they, yeah, they do the same job. We write entire seasons of TV in a mini room, but, you know, you get a little less pay and there's fewer <laughs> people because uh, it's a mini room. It's a new right. designation. You know, it's like it's like enemy combatant. We just invented a thing <laughs> so that we get away with whatever we want. Yeah. And I think the same thing could happen with AI, right? It's like they just invent a new classification of jobs yes. uh, to get away with having You're a story to, to modifier, writers. not a exactly, writer. Exactly. 100 percent. Exactly the kind of thing that would happen. Cool. So yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I oppose AI for story writing. It's a little bit of a worrying issue, even though the technology is not there yet. Uh, it probably will get there. Yeah. So you, you've been on the picket lines in the last few weeks, right? Yeah, I've been on the picket line every day. You know, I'm getting there at 9 a.m. I'm getting my steps in. And yeah, it's, it's been great. Great support. I had a retired teacher came out today. This dude, Gary, I talked to. Gary was a king. He just came out and he was like, I was in a union, just came out to support y'all. Oh, that's awesome. Um, lots Aww. of that. Lots of honking. Lots of solidarity from other union members, from SAG-AFTRA actors, you know, IATSE crew members, Teamsters, not crossing picket lines. Those are a lot of the drivers of the industry. It's been great. And the nurses, my mom was a nurse. The nurses union came out to support today. Oh, that's so great. It is great. And I I think it's like kind of a, you know, whatever you think of TV writing as a profession, uh, you know, it is a craft. And I think like anyone who is on the side of labor in America and the side of workers, because we're all together in this, you know, it's all the same struggle. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I feel like I don't know anyone, and this might just be the type of friend I have, who is like, those fucking writers. Oh my, I mean, you know, it's stunning like, that all of your friends in the industry yeah, just exactly. happen to be. <laughs> but you could imagine a situation with more gray areas, right? This one seems pretty black and white from what I understand. Yes. Look, I think part of it is that no one wants to take the side of these big media companies because sure, these sure. are like, shitty companies and some of them are like the largest and most powerful companies on earth like period talking about like amazon and apple so yeah i think that's part of it that side clearly isn't the good guys right so i think that's part of it i think there's also like you know let's say you were this is me just like analyzing why there's been maybe less of a backlash than there was in 2007 2008 the last writer's strike right I think that there's also this side of like, if there was going to be like a bad faith, like anti, you know, fancy Hollywood TV writers campaign, like from the right, again, they have to be siding with the same companies that they're decrying for, you know, pumping out like liberal Hollywood content. So I think it's a little (laughs) bit of a tougher, you know, needle to thread. And I think also now, you know, it's so different from the last one, 15 years ago, uh, because of social media, like now writers are personalities in a way they weren't quite the same way. Right. So I think it's much easier to be like, oh, this is not, you know, someone who who's, you know, lunching at Spago every day. It's like this is just a normal, you know, human (laughs) being with a job. Yeah. Who's not, you know, making a million dollars a year or whatever. It seems a lot more accessible. 
there's a lot of working and middle class writers out there who are, you know, being squeezed, who are making less money than they were a decade ago. And, you know, I think that that segment is visible. That's a weird thing, too, though, right? Because it's like when we were younger, there was never a period where there was like a celebrity TV writer, right? Or the idea of like, oh, I know who this writer is, that guy who wrote that episode or that guy who created that series. Like, I know who they are. Like, I guess you would see like Marta Kaufman and David Crane at like the end of Friends and be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. You know, but you they weren't like known personalities, you know? That's right. I remember the last strike. I feel like that was just as showrunner was a concept people were becoming aware of. And so you did right. have like semi-celebrity showrunner, you know, like a Damon Lindelof type person. Right. Sure. Like a David Chase. Like, like a David Chase. Yeah. 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 You're right. That was starting to happen with the whole, you know, whatever you want to call the current age of TV, this uh, modern golden age of TV of, of the prestige cable shows. Yeah. It was very easy, I think, to make those people seem you know, like rich celebrity. They're in charge of a whole network TV show or whatever. That's a very different position than, hey, I'm in a room and, you know, on, on some show. Yeah, no, you're right. Because that's the thing is there's a coexistence of there are some extremely successful and very visible people at the very top. They're the multimillionaires whose names alone sell a TV show right. uh, or get a movie made. Uh, those individuals are in the Writers Guild with, you know, chumps like me who are like trying to string together enough jobs to like, you know, I'll work on this show, work on this special or work on this show, you know. I'll start a podcast to supplement my income because I can't make a living writing anymore. You know, like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that, that's that's a lot of the yeah. that's the bulk right. of the membership in the Writers Guild of America. Mention of David Chase brings up a question that I wanted to ask you, Nick, because yeah. I'm a game developer and you were in game development for a bit. And that's right. So <laughs> further further back up here is that our friend, good friend of the show, Jory, who was the narrative designer on Dream Daddy. Love Dream Daddy. Thank you. Thank you very much. All fanboy or fangirl out here. I mean, like, I, I'm, I love Dream Daddy. Huge, huge That's fan. That's so awesome. That, that makes me... So So when we were working on Dream Daddy, uh, Jory yeah. was listening to a good bit of Doughboys. And then when you guys released the Dream Mitchy episode, Jory was like, oh, yeah. oh, this podcast that I really liked did an episode about Dream Daddy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. I don't think I can listen to that. Even if it's super positive, <laughs> I just can't mentally handle that. And so I got really into Doughboy. Like I listened to everything else except that episode. Wow. For six fucking years, I listened to Dream Mitchy this morning. Oh my God. <laughs> I knew it was going to be positive, yeah. but I, I just like, I don't know. I felt like I, I would be remiss if we were recording this and I had not listened to it. It was lovely. I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad, I'm glad you appreciated that. Oh, it made me really happy. Layton, what was your worst case scenario with listening to that? There was no worst episode. case scenario. Jory repeatedly okay. was like, nothing <laughs> negative. It's all positive except for valid criticisms of the mini games, which are notoriously easy and very clear. <laughs> um, but, you know, after Dream Daddy came out, it was a big, you know, got harassed for a long time. And, you know, oh, Forbes no. articles about controversy. Repeatedly and apologized I, for all of that. You know, I, I, what can I say? I just, my voice yeah, you, needed you, to be heard. You organized all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I had a year long mental breakdown after the whole thing. And so like oh even anything God. positive and the idea of like my favorite podcast talking about the thing I made, even if it was positive, I was like, I can't emotionally handle it. 
So um, anyway, yeah, it was really that. nice to listen to it this morning. I'm glad you liked the episode. And also, hello from Jory, who is a big Doughboys fan and is very excited oh, that, that you're here today. Hi, Jory. So yeah, there was <laughs> there was Doughboys listened to during the development of Dream Daddy. But anyway, all of that to lead up to, Jory reminded me that you worked yes. on, briefly, Sopranos Road to Respect. I did work I on Sopranos Road to Respect. <laughs> Can I just talk about Green Daddy a little bit more before we get into that? Yes. Because I, you know, I'm a big fan. I, <laughs> I, I had the that. idea of that episode and I, I pitched it to Mitch and I was like, I'm going to role play as you in Dream Daddy and then I'm going to tell you about it because I knew he would not play the game on his own. And that's the premise of, of how <laughs> yeah. he did it. The thing is, the dad I dated, I romanced as Mitch, um, my co-host. I think, I think it was Brian. I'm trying to remember the character's name. It is Brian. Yeah. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. And uh, like I made Mitch and the character creator and then Brian was available as a romance option. And I was like, I think this looks more like Mitch than the guy I made. <laughs> but it yeah. kind of made sense. You know, he's the kind of guy who would romance himself, basically. So it, <laughs> yeah. it worked out. We ended up making a Dream Mitchy shirt because people really liked the episode. Oh, really? I saw that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> the shirt is like Mitch, my co-host, and he's got like an open shirt and he's cradling his two cats. And we got the art back. And I told him, I was like, are you okay with doing this? Because he's kind of like sexualized and... <laughs> Mitchell's like, yeah, I look great. <laughs> it's really good art. Yeah. I'm like sad that I didn't get one when it was available because it rips. It's really cool. Chris Van Artsdale made that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That game brought me a lot of joy. So uh, God bless you for that. Sorry I had to deal with any backlash, but you know, uh, a lot of people love it. Oh, it's fine. It changed my life. I wouldn't be out here without it and, you know, wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast. It's just, you know, making stuff on the internet, especially when it's a wholesome gay dating sim, people get really mad at you. <laughs> so yeah, but you know, it's all, all groovy. And it means that, you know, I get to find out that really cool people like you or like Sylvan Esso are Dream Daddy fans, which is bizarre. Anyway, Sopranos Road to Respect. Great game. Yes. Speaking of Thanks. great games. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay. So the full disclosure I must say is that I worked on Sopranos Road to Respect for not its full development cycle. I was on there for honestly, probably only about three months. I ended up getting an additional design credit and I was there in the early stages of development. Can we just say what it is? I assume this is the Sopranos video game. It's the Sopranos video game. Yes. I don't yeah, know anything about it. It came out for PlayStation 2 and Xbox. So it was that era of gaming. Mm -hmm. And the Sopranos license was a hot property. And uh, the company I worked for, Seven Studios, uh, had a contract with THQ to make a licensed Sopranos game. And basically, it started out as, uh, you know, kind of akin to what Telltale ended up nailing in its heyday. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be more of a, you know, conversation-driven um, sort of adventure story-based game with some, you know, QTEs that kind of had the sort of visceral sudden bursts of violence that you would have in a Sopranos episode. But, you know, Sopranos is not like a shoot 'em up show. They'll spend an entire episode in like, you know, somebody's having a dream while they're in a coma. So like the original design doc for that game, I think was, was tonally heading towards trying to match what the show was. And it came from people who are fans of the show. THQ, the publisher, ultimately decided they wanted Grand Theft Auto Sopranos. And the game's engine was not designed to be able to execute that. Mm -hmm. So it ended up being this thing with really clunky combat, 
and was not a polished, you know, like it was a game where they're kind of like building the car while it was in motion, that sort of development process. And then the remnant of the original dialogue system, which was much more robust, ended up being uh, widely mocked justifiably because it got reduced down to two options, tough and smooth. So do you want to be tough or do you want to be smooth? Oh, Sopranos Paragon Renegade. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So anytime you had a dialogue with an NPC, you could pick one of those options or is this something you bake into the character? No. I mean, it's like kind of like the Paragon Renegade system in Mass Effect where it's kind of like, you know, as ongoing decisions that you make throughout the game. But it'd be things like, like, what, are you a fucking rat? And then just choose (laughs) tough or smooth and tough be a fuck you ain't no fucking rat. Or smooth would be like, Come on, I ain't a rat. You know, like yeah, right, right, right. It, it was that degree of just like <laughs> that's great. Basically a non-choice choice. And yeah, I feel bad for the developers who labored on that because I know a lot of extremely talented people who like had to to spend all this time modeling these Sopranos characters and animating them and building these levels and trying to make it feel like a real space, make it feel like the show while also having the beat up combat and at a time when consoles didn't have the memory to support ragdoll corpses on the ground so they just mm-hmm. like flash out of existence so yep. it was just like it ended up being so disastrous I think because of the publisher's decree and that's just how I think a lot of bad licensed games get made yeah a lot of bad games in general or rather just games that have poor releases happens because of that like it's very common and I guess this is a bit of a sidebar but it's really tough to watch shit like that happen, knowing intimately how game development goes, because everything that everybody blames on, like, the people who have been killing themselves making this game for years, like, everything gets dumped on them. Like, they don't give a fuck. And it's like, guys, yeah. making a video game is really hard. It's incredible yeah. that any video game ever gets made. 100%. Yeah, it's like when a movie is, is bad and people are like, that fucking writer. It's like, no, you realize there's like 500 people who were involved in this or whatever. Yeah, and it's also possible that what's shitty about the script it came because some executive decided they wanted like right. like let's throw a little Fast and Furious in here. It was like <laughs> it's a western, but okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, not enough time, unreasonable expectations. But the other thing with this particular license, we kind of figured out that David Chase did not give a shit about video games <laughs> um, and did not really know what a video game was. Bombshell yeah, exactly. announcement. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So to him, it was like the guy who they sent over to write the Sopranos game. Like, oh, we're, we're going to get some Sopranos writer. He ended up sending over the same guy, his buddy who wrote the Sopranos family cookbook. So that's also <laughs> it. Like he thought these things were equivalent, like uh, the, the, the cookbook that's got, you know, Uncle Junior's Calzone uh, and then this this video game that, you know, people are laboring on has for like three years of development. Calzone mini game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Yeah. Were you doing QA on it? No, I worked in design. I was on the design side in the early stages of development. I thankfully did not have to QA that game. I I feel very bad for the QA department. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing is that they got the full cast. Yeah. Good on them, at least. Like, hey, there's another performance from Michael Imperioli you can track down, you know, that's just like from James Gandolfini. It's kind of impressive from that standpoint. But yeah, as a game, just absolutely did not work. It's really funny watching the footage of the voices coming out of their weird little faces. I would really like to play it. Brian, if we ever finish our Sopranos Gabagool School watch through 10 years from now, whenever that may be, we should play Road to Respect. Well, here's my question. Do you get to drive around North Jersey in this video game? No, I don't believe there's any driving. Oh, I I think that all ended up getting cut. But I I could be wrong in that because I never played the finished game. 
for context, Nick, I grew up in northern New Jersey, and one of the great joys to me watching The Sopranos, which I am just watching for the first time right now, actually, with with Layton, wow. but my parents loved it because they'd be like, oh my God, that's the Applebee's on Route 46. Holy <laughs> shit. It's like, no, the, Tony Soprano's like choking a guy to death in the dumpster behind that Applebee's, guys. So, you know, living out here now, as I have for many years, it's nice to see New Jersey content represented, especially a side of it that I didn't really see much before that. And now it's also kind of a period piece because it's 20 or whatever years old. Yeah. It's really great to see this stuff, which is kind of stuff, you know, I grew up with just on screen. Is that the biggest Jersey, like, property? Like, is there, I'm I'm trying to think of (laughs) what else. Jersey IP. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Springsteen in general, probably. Okay, sure. Would be, would be up there. uh, Billy Joel. Isn't he Long Island? You can absolutely, yeah, you can go fuck yourself, Layton, because Billy Joel is Long Island, uh, which is definitely a different place from New Jersey. God, I love pissing you off on purpose. It's the best. Look, I took the bait and I'm not too proud to admit it, but yeah. Garden State? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah. Really put the shins on the map. You know Garden State's a good movie because its soundtrack is so famous. (laughs) Uh, I'm so excited to watch more Sopranos with you, Brian. As our latest episode of it come out on the patreon yet no i have to i have to edit it ah okay do you know what's where you are in the series right now (laughs) oh we just started we just watched college oh wow yes early very early i watched it for the first time in 2020 and since then have probably watched the entire thing like eight times wow i was watching it as it was airing i didn't get on right away i actually man this sounds like so long ago I rented VHSs of season one from Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. how long ago The Sopranos came <laughs> yeah. out. And that's what got me into it. And then me and my roommates had an HBO subscription and uh, went in on an HBO subscription for The Sopranos and, w- and were wa- was watching the show largely as it aired. It's an amazing show. College is like, that's like an episode that people saw. I know when that came out, they were like, TV has changed forever. Like it was like such a mind-blowing hour of TV. Yeah, you know, I vaguely knew what to expect from it. But the first sure. four episodes, I was like, that's cool. That's all right. I like it. I like the actors. You know, it's it's great. But also one of those huge ensemble casts. I couldn't remember who anyone was. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. To be fair, there are two different characters named Pussy, which can be confusing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and doesn't someone get recast after the pilot or a couple multiple, people do or multiple something? Multiple people yeah. get recast. So that was probably part of it, too. But College was the first episode I saw. Uh, where, you know, and this is the most recent one I've seen where I was like, oh shit, now I get it. This is very good. This is not just like, oh, this is pretty cool. It's like, wow, suddenly like things have clicked into place. Yeah. The first four have a much more like sitcom-y tone. The pilot, it's a great pilot, but it is very like not representative of how the show is. It's a lot more like madcap comedy and like all the weird, like David Chase directed, like close-ups. It's very strange especially yeah. considering how fucking dark it gets, you know, with each season. Like, every rewatch right. I've done, I'm like, seasons one through three, yay! <laughs> and then getting into four <laughs> through six, I'm like, uh, it hurts. Yeah. So I'm excited to get to that with you, Brian. Yes, me too. I, I And I'm coming off also a, not having seen it since it aired, a uh, rewatch of Larry Sanders' show, which... Oh, wow. Sopranos is like right after Larry Sanders or within a couple of years of when it ended, I think. So that like 90s HBO kind of stuff is very interesting 
to me because I remember that like Mr. Show era also, of course, sure. like all that stuff being being on kind of at the same time. I've never watched all of Larry Sanders, but the episodes I've seen, I've really enjoyed. Leighton, have you seen any Larry Sanders? No, I haven't. I guess important context for the whole premise of this show is that Brian is 20 years older than I am. <laughs> so a lot of things are, are beyond my time. Now, uh, sure. To be fair, I streamed it. So it is available to you should you, should you want I'm to see it. I'm choosing not to, to yeah. maintain my Zoomer cred. Yeah, I'm a bit, I was fair. 19 when Dream Daddy came out. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. It is true. We started working on it when I was 18. It came out a month before my 20th birthday. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm 25 now. It's crazy. Yeah, wow. I remember Zooming with Layton when she was writing with uh, her, her co-creator, Vernon. Uh, yeah. And I guess you were like still in high school then? No, Just no, 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 no. In I was no, not okay. still in high school. This is when I was at SCAD. Okay. And I was doing all of my art classes and then coming home and then doing art directing on this game and writing it and sending emails and being on calls. And then at 2 a.m. being like, time to do homework. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I wish I was driven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't saying. know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this a lot recently is just the, the relationship between downtime and creativity and all that. Like, I constantly flagellate myself because I'm like, oh, I gotta like come fuck do more shit. But then right. the messaging I get from everyone I know is like, chill the fuck out, dude. Like you have to like relax some and do less stuff. And like the narratives are totally different. I have an internal narrative, which is work harder, do more, try more shit, blah, blah, blah. And yet from, from like my wife in particular, she's like, I think you can take a break. I'm like, no, no more breaks. You got to get after it. And I don't know how to reconcile yeah. these. Okay, I have a name. You know, Nick, we introduce new segments on this show pretty regularly because Brian's a very talented musician who writes very good theme music. Last yeah, week, you. we had our new segment, Cancel Me Daddy, which I really enjoyed. Uh, this week, I would like to introduce a new... Uh. Cancel Me Daddy. Anyway, the very segment good. that I would like to pitch right now is called... Imposter syndrome. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, I like. So the theme lot. song yes. for that is gonna go right here. This segment is bad. It doesn't belong on the podcast. Why are we even doing this segment? Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody likes this segment. Imposter syndrome. It's just the cancel me, daddy theme, but with <laughs> imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, I was tempted to just play that again. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I know your restraint is incredible. Okay, well, it's been said before, but I never get tired of hearing it. Yeah. My vision for the theme song for this is like synth string pads and like whispers, like, you know, just having a chorus of just like, you're a piece of shit. You fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> you're never going to make it. Yeah. Everyone knows you're a fraud. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of a self-affirmation. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. Great. If it was more accurate to my internal experience, it would be full volume screaming, but I feel like whispering right. is the way to go. For anyway, so welcome yeah. to Imposter Syndrome, yes. where we have the conversation we were already having. Do you guys also have this, like, I should be working harder? Yes. Thing? Yes. I feel like most people I know have this to some extent, right? It's in recent years when I've kind of realized how much, even though I've tried to avoid it, that hustle culture just kind of gets into oh your God. bones. It totally does, yes. I read this book this year called The 4,000 Weeks, 
Mm. And I'd heard about it discussed on a podcast. And I thought it was really interesting because it was like, for a while I was reading so much about productivity and about maximizing your day and scheduling out everything. And this one just kind of took the other approach where it was just kind of like, just like be alive. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's like a lifespan is the 4,000 weeks, right? That's Exactly, yeah. And so like thinking about like maximizing everything, every unit of time available to you, it's just going to drive you nuts. It's going to make you have unreasonable expectations for what you should be doing with yourself. And it'll also paradoxically make you less productive because now right. you're obsessing over using your time ideally. Now I'm wire cuttering uh, my schedule. You know, yes. I'm just trying to figure out the min-max approach to living and I'm actually getting less done because I'm obsessing over process. Totally. I I thought it was a really interesting read. Have you ever read that book, Getting Things Done? No. It's a little, I think, like gray, silver book. Very easy to read. And it is a kind of a playbook for how to get things done. It's one of these, like, if you can do it in under two minutes, just do it right away. Don't put it off. Make many goals. It's all very, like, pretty obvious stuff. But it's old enough that The advice, which struck me as absolutely insane whenever I read this five years ago, was write out everything you need to do. Each thing is on like a different piece of paper and then have a file folder, like not electronic, a real file folder where you like put it sounded like so much work that it was completely untenable. I mean, as somebody who's terrible at getting things done, I have like a series of colored uh, note sticky pads and I'll do one for like chores and one for work shit. Generally work. I mean, I'm staring at all of my unchecked off to do lists, but (laughs) it makes me feel like I'm put together a little bit. Yeah. I've also heard the thing like if a task is, I forget what the threshold is, but a task takes less than a minute or less than two minutes, just do it immediately. Yes. Yeah. And attitudinally, I've internalized some of that. Totally. I actually, I timed myself making a bed yesterday so I could convince myself it was under two minutes and then convince myself to just do it fast. Like just fucking get it done in the morning. Get up, make the bed. Don't put it off. Just do it. It's under two minutes. That's the rule. Got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's another book that I read called Habit Stacking or it's about the concept of habit stacking where it's like every morning you start really simple, like brush your teeth and then you add a thing onto it. So by the time that you've had like two weeks, you kind of have a chain of little, it's just like routine. We're like dogs, we need routine. But I think the thing that has helped me most, I didn't read this anywhere, but I, as a freelancy person, I have to structure my day like I'm in college. (laughs) Like I I Mm. block it out like I'm in college classes where it's like, all right, I'm going to work for two hours and now I'm going to have like my little free hour where I play video games and then I'm back. And then just so I'm not like going absolutely insane. It's difficult. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. There was one of these books I read that talked about literally schedule every hour of every day. Oh my God. And I tried that approach for a little bit, like including like free time. I'm going to block out this much time to do this activity when I am free. And I found that exhausting. I read a lot of fucking self-help books and I feel like there's always like one thing I can pull away from each of them. Mm -hmm. What Leighton is saying is like that aspect of like a little bit more scheduling than I'm used to. I did find helpful. That over scheduling thing that, that just screams, I don't have kids. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, sure. Yeah. I have a small person that lives in my house who might decide to just go off the fucking rails any time of day. There's only so <laughs> much you can you can do about that, you know? Right. Like, that's great when you're 23 or whatever it is. But, you know, with an eight year old flying about, it's, it's it's a lot harder. Have you tried giving your eight year old a day planner? <laughs> oh, yeah. She loves it. Yeah. She she tore it up and made a fort out of it. Yeah. 
What are some of the self-help books that you like best, Nick? 4,000 Weeks, I mentioned. I have a list of this somewhere. Give me one second. You know what? Actually, I'm going to take a a break here also to go pee real quick. So why don't we take two? Great. Leighton, what was the genesis of Dream Daddy? Like, how did you come up with that? I was in art school and I came out to California to visit friends and me and co-creator Vernon, he was like, oh, it's my friend's first time in California. Let's go to Disneyland. And literally as we were parking, I was like, you know, I always thought it'd be funny if you made a dating sim where you play as a dad and you date other hot dads. And then we laughed about it because we were talking like the intro to that was like, the Dilfs of Disneyland account where we're like, we're, just, oh, yeah, we're right. just scouting for hot dads here. And then we spent the rest of the day in line, like kicking around. Like we had the title Dream Daddy almost instantly, which makes titling every other subsequent project miserable because we had it within 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Damien, the goth dad was invented in, in line for the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> uh, and then after that day, I was like, That's I don't awesome. know. I don't know how serious we are about this. And it just progressively became more and more serious as we were making it. So it worked out. It took us a year, which was a very intense dev cycle. Right. The way that Mitch reacts to you as you're talking about the game is how people reacted to me when they would be like, what are you working on? (laughs) So it's just me with absolutely like no clout or standing or whatever being like, well, there's this YouTube channel where they play video games and they're helping me make a game where you kiss dads. People would be like, that's nice. That's really nice. Wait, so how did you connect with Game Grumps? Because Vernon used to do a YouTube channel called Hot Pepper Gaming that I was a fan of. And I was a fan of Game Grumps. And I did a ton of fan art for Hot Pepper Gaming. And then we met at a convention that I went to and we stayed in touch on Twitter. Long story, but, you know, internet friendship, essentially. Was this the one where we met, Layden, the first time? It was, yes, where I hugged you without asking. And then here we are. (laughs) 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 Fucking eight years later, I think. (laughs) Yeah. MAGFest uh, 2015 or whatever. Oh my God, fucking MAGFest. Yeah. All right. So, self-help books. It's hard to remember the titles of, of self-help books because they're like, it's like just like feeling better, you know? <laughs> like a lot of them just have like yeah. really vague catch-all titles. So I was like, what specific ones did I read? This is one of my favorites, actually. The Courage to be Disliked. And this Ooh. was by a, a couple oh. of uh, Japanese authors. And it's like kind of an, an imagined dialogue between two people. It's basically all about this, uh, I believe, Austrian philosopher. Alfred uh, named Adler. Alfred Adler. Um. Yeah, yeah. Or psychologist. And it's basically just talking about them. And, and it ends up landing on is, you know, the title kind of thesis is just like kind of like, you know, not everyone is going to like you. And so much of our insecurities come from just trying to be liked by everyone. Totally. And no matter what you do, you'll always have haters. Mm-hmm. And so if you accept that, if you accept that that's just a reality, then you can finally be yourself because you have the courage to be disliked. I have the courage to just like accept that who I am and then accept that some people are just never going to accept that mm. on their own terms. I really like that one. There's one I liked and it's like, it's embarrassing to say I liked it and the attitude is not at all my my energy. But um, there's this book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I've seen this, yes. I've never yeah. read it, but I've seen it, yeah. I had it recommended. I looked at the title. I looked at the cover. I was like, this seems so fucking obnoxious. Yes, 100%. Because it's always in like the front table in Barnes & Noble kind of book. Right? Exactly, yeah. 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 
And then like it starts off with like chapter one, get fucked. <laughs> I'm just like, oh God, I don't know about this. But then you read it and the, the dude is just like, he's kind of got this sort of brash bravado about him. But I think a lot of his approach towards life. And then like when you learn sort of his backstory and like kind of what he's been through and how he kind of developed this approach. I thought that was a really engaging read. And then also a couple that are just like targeted on our obsession with, you know, devices and screens. One is called Digital Minimalism and the other is called The Shallows. The Shallows is really, really good. Oh, you read The Shallows? Yeah. Shallows is awesome. Have you read uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism? <laughs> no, I've heard about okay. this one. I was not able to finish it. Vernon read the entire thing. I got like three chapters in and was like, I have to stop. It's like, you know, in the vein of the shallows, at least the shallows is like accessible and like solution focused. Age of Surveillance yeah. Capitalism is like maybe the most accurate Doomer book I've ever read wow. some of. <laughs> it's harrowing, but it's the real like bad ending, except we are in bad ending. Yeah. So not really an uplifting self-helpy thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll totally check that out because, you know, I read books on climate change too. So Doom and Gloom is also extremely my shit. I, yeah, I had that thought when I was like, because I have an Oculus headset that I use less these days, but I realize at a certain point it has like an external camera just sort of like see your space around you, right? And I realize like, wait, this is like meta. This is like <laughs> Facebook. Like, are they just live streaming like me, like in my room? All the time, Like, yeah. you know, playing Half-Life Alex. Like, what is happening? <laughs> like, can they just see my perspective when I put this thing on? I don't know if they're doing that, but I wouldn't put it past them. 100%. I remember anything thing years ago, that was just like, just assume you're being filmed and your voice is being recorded at all times you are awake. It's mm -hmm. like, Jesus, <laughs> that's grim, but I guess it's... it's not inaccurate, probably. Know? Yeah, exactly. Right. Or, or, or even if it is inaccurate, the assumption is a fair assumption to make Yeah, these days. Half-Life Alex is a game that makes me wish that VR didn't make me horrifically motion sick. Like, I've watched some playthroughs of segments of it, and it looks so yeah. cool. What is it? Uh, I don't know what this game is. It's the VR Half-Life game. Oh, oh, it's a half. Okay, got it. Yeah. They have not figured out how to deal with when your character is in motion, your perspective is in motion, but you are stationary, like how jarring that feels and how much yeah. that makes you feel like you're going to fall over and throw up at the same time. We played around with this uh, Blair Witch VR game. Oh, and wow. it's got like, you know, smooth movement. And like, the thing is like all of us, we fell off of it, not because it was too scary, because I am a, I am famously a coward, um, <laughs> but, but because it was just like made me too motion sick. Yeah. I don't know if that's a solvable problem. Because VR is really cool when it's cool. I'm super sensitive to motion sickness to the Same. point that even like non-VR video games, like I worked on a video game for a year and I was the art director and it made me so goddamn motion sick to play it. Wow. Because it was like tank controls. But, yeah. you know, it, it sucks buying a game and being like, wow, this is awesome. And then being like, all right, I'm fucked the rest of the day because I'm going to throw up. That happened to me with the, <laughs> the newest Ratchet and Clank. I bought it. Oh, I got a no. PS5 recently, started up oh, new Ratchet man. and Clank, and two minutes in, I was like, whoa, oh, fuck. And I've heard so many great things about it. Seems like an awesome game, and I couldn't do it. It was just too much. Return of the Obra Dinn was probably my biggest, like, oh, really? this game is awesome, too. I am so sick. Yeah, yeah. I can see that, yeah, because yeah. of its art style. Yes. Yeah. Brian, that's really ominous hearing that, because, like, I really love the new Ratchet and Clank. Uh, Rift Apart. Yeah. 
But I had like a friend tell me like a couple years ago, he's like, I can't have the Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich anymore. Like it just gives me <laughs> like upsets my stomach. It yeah. gives me acid reflux. And I, I'm just like, I hear things like that. I hear things like being too sensitive for the Wendy's chicken sandwich, too motion sick for Ratchet and Clank that I'm just like, Jesus, that's going to happen to me, right? <laughs> At a certain point, I'm just not going to be able to ex- experience the things I like. That's my question is, was it just a bad day? I was like, I don't want to fuck the rest of my day. So I kind of gave up pretty quick. But I just finished Elden Ring, as I have recently talked about on the show. And I was totally fine with that. But maybe I'll start that up again. I don't know. The, the thing that is really fucking me over with motion sickness right now is my kid showing me her Minecraft builds, which, you know, when she's like flying through the air and that is the absolute absolute worst. It's worse than any, you know, video game motion sickness ever because you're, you're not controlling it. So you can't quite clock where it's going to go. And I have to just close my eyes and then look up when she's in the right place. It's, <laughs> it's yeah, pretty it's, rough. Man, wow. the human body just sucks shit, dude. <laughs> I'm hoping. So I'm not hate quite it. 50. I'll be 50 in a couple of years, but I'm hoping once I get past 50, suddenly everything gets better. And on the other side of that hill, and then things, you know, stop going downhill, and then you go back up. Yeah. Uh, I just want to be a brain in a jar, you know? Yeah. Put me in a jar. One last main segment of episode comment or question. I don't know. Nick, one of my hardest dope boys laughs is when you guys had that period of doing masterclass ads (laughs) in front of the episodes. Oh, yeah. Right. Your incredibly disdainful masterclass ad reads, like I go back to because they're just so fucking funny. <laughs> How did that come about? I first of all, I can't believe we actually got paid for those. I think they just weren't paying attention. <laughs> they, so, do y'all run ads on your podcast? No, we're just paying. This show makes no money. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, it's a, a not, not running ads is a blessing because ad copy is its own like sort of animal. And, totally. It's often not worth the payoff. You get like this company that's like maybe a little bit shady or that you don't really like have any sort of connection to. And they right. want you to say like, we've got an ad copy that says, host, I use product literally every day of my life. <laughs> like, 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 so like, like a lot of it is really... I try to waffle and not give like a full-throated endorsement if I don't really know what it is. If I do like yeah, something, I smart. will give it an endorsement. But usually what you'll get is you'll get like just like a huge block of text and then they'll have a bunch of like highlighted elements that'll be like must read or like, you know, yeah. ad-lib here. The masterclass one, they sent us a copy and it was very long. And then it also had like, as a bullet point, it just had like, say three masterclasses <laughs> you've taken and enjoyed. <laughs> And I was like, okay, a master class is dozens they're of hours. Long. Like it's like they're they're yeah. they're huge. Yeah. I was like, so you expect me to just take a master class just for to have a personal testimony? Like I'm not actually gonna do that. Right. And I was also frustrated that they didn't give me examples of like classes I like include, you know, right. yeah. Cooking with Pizzazz by Bobby Flay. Like, fine, I would have read that. But if you're like, I have to choose my own classes. So I just went to their website and they were advertising like a seminar by Condoleezza Rice <laughs> and like a leadership class from George W. Bush. I was like, what the hell is going on? He's got like war criminals or just like, you know. And it, it comes through, through so clearly in the ad yeah. Global like, diplomacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Henry Kissinger's got a, a, a 12 week series. So I just listed these classes and said that those were one, ones you could take. That's and I really guess they funny. probably were just like, either didn't listen to it or were just like, well, he's he's not lying, you know? <laughs> Are they good? I've never 
done a masterclass or know anyone who's, who's really done them. There must be some good ones, right? I think so. I don't know. Leighton's making a gesture. Have you taken one? <laughs> so I, I had a friend do the like, oh, here's like a free referral where you get a year of masterclass free. And then I logged in and I was like, oh, cool. And then I forgot about it until the next year where it rolled over and then was like, we're charging you $350 for shit you didn't oh take. My God. And then it was like an ordeal to get them to refund me where it was like hello, why am I being charged $350? I don't even remember putting in my fucking credit card information. Like, you can look on my account. I didn't take a single course. I want my fucking money back. And they were uh, they were like, are you sure? Every time I see one, everything about it screams, this person doesn't know how to teach, right? It's just like yes. some famous person, you know, it's like Steve Martin teaches comedy. I'm like, that guy doesn't know how to teach? No way. Maybe it's great for the five people in front of him who can, like, talk to him. But what are you going to learn from that? Oh, do you guys want to take a course on the power of empathy? Yeah, fuck that. What tech bro is logging on, like, (laughs) time to take my empathy course so I can relate to the humans? Yeah, my judge-mandated empathy course. (laughs) First off, they are so celebrity-focused, which is kind of just like... In general, what a lot of what's wrong with a lot of our culture is just, you know, so, so yes, teaching is its own skill. And said their approach was, I read an article about their inner workings and how they just like, we just want the biggest celebrity we can possibly get. Yep. If we're going to have a tennis class, we want Serena Williams. Yeah. We're going for the absolute stars and we're paying whatever it takes. But then also that a big driver of their subscriptions is actually just like the same classes people take for free on YouTube. It's just like knitting classes and like cooking classes. It's just practical skills or like home repair. Hmm. You know, people aren't actually taking the filmmaking seminar with Brian De Palma. (laughs) That's just there for the star power to get clicks. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So for context, I used to be a a professor. I was a physics professor for a long time. So I went through the whole academic system. It was a lot of fun. Brian's incredibly impressive and it's like obnoxious. Thank you. So yeah, so I did the whole uh, academic thing. Uh, I did uh, particle physics. I was a string theorist. Wow. uh, And then I quit when my comedy band got popular. Now you're a different kind of string theorist. Yeah, indeed. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But the university model is the same. 4% to that joke. (laughs) Sorry. Go on. The university model is the same thing where you get these rock star researchers. You know, it's not public celebrities. It's academic celebrities. These assholes don't know how to teach 90% of the time. It's just, you know, you have a Nobel Prize. Great. What does that mean? It means you're good at research. And sometimes not even that. Sometimes it means you're very lucky. Usually not, but occasionally. But it's it's the same model, right? As you just get the most famous person you can, try to rack up your accolades, rack up your public recognition, which means more grant funding and blah, blah, blah. Not to totally go off on this. Go off. This really fucked me up when I heard it about universities. I don't think most people know this. Did you know that when you get a grant, say you're writing grants, you're a professor at a university, you write your grant money. Basically, you, you write your grant proposal and then- the actual money you ask for is double that because the university just gets half. Wow. So if you need a million, a million bucks to do your research, you write a grant proposal for $2 million and the university takes what's called overhead. And that's why they want grant money. Is It's literally just baked in that they take basically half of what you get. Isn't that crazy? Is there any part of our society that is not just <laughs> built upon grift? It's just like everywhere. There's just someone is just taking a piece of someone else's labor. It's just built yeah. into every single 
institution. That's right. That's such a bummer. My dad was a college professor in chemistry at the University of Cal State Dominguez Hills in the Cal State system. And he kind of said a lot of what you were saying, Brian, of just like the Cal State system is much more instruction focused. The UC system is a lot more like research focused. And so like a lot of times you get a more prestigious degree from a UC, but you'll get a probably a better, more well-rounded education from the CSU system. 100%. Whenever, you know, I've young relatives or whatever, asking for college advice. I'm like, don't go to the fancy schools. Education, I mean, it might be fine. And many of, a lot of the time you'll, you know, it'll be actually pretty good. But if you want really good teaching, go to a small school, go to a teaching focused school, and you're going to have a better experience almost all the time. So like the whole Ivy League thing, I I kind of hate. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I want to hit Harvard with a cruise missile. Yeah. <laughs> So I, 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 I was a researcher at Harvard for a year. So I got to see a wow. little bit this. I was in there. They have a, actually the most pretentiously titled theoretical physics group there. It was called the Center for the Fundamental Laws of Nature, which, come, right. what are we fucking doing, guys? Calm down. You know, way over the, Center for Theoretical Physics, fine. So I was a postdoc in the Center for the Fundamental Laws of Nature. Great researchers, education, not a priority was the whole point. Sure. Okay. Yes. Segments. All right. So uh, our first segment, Nick, this is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about book, movie, video game, something you've been enjoying recently. It is called What's Poppin'? And the theme song we add in post, so you're not going to hear it now, but it goes here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? So now I will ask the question I like to ask all our guests, which is, if you were to have heard this theme song, what would you have thought of it? Um, I think it's kind of, you know, maybe a little lazy to just have reused the Cancel Me Daddy theme again. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Excellent work. Uh, Layden, what's Bob? What's popping for me this week is, so I'm a really big fan of Thomas Ligotti, who is a very great contemporary, like weird cosmic horror writer. Yep. And very few things fulfill the Thomas Ligotti void, you know? But mm-hmm. I found this short story anthology that I cannot put down called The Puppet King and Other Atonements by Justin A. Burnett. And it's fucking fantastic. I feel like so many horror anthologies, especially like, because this came out in maybe 2022, like getting a dud where it's just like, there are 20 stories in here and all of them are bad. But reading this one, it's just like, Every single one is a banger. You hit like a ton of different horror oh, subgenres. Somebody who can like really deftly switch between first, second, and third person. Like they don't all sound exactly the same. I'm so impressed with it. It's really great. So that's what's popping for me. That's great. Just on the horror anthology front, and shout out the Just King Things podcast, but I've been reading all of like Stephen King's books in publication mm. order and listening oh, to their episodes yes. about Oh, nice. Them. And I've been working my way through one of his short story collections, Night Shift. Oh, yeah. Classic. Have either of you read the Lawnmower Man short story? I mean... Because I'd only seen the movie. Years ago. Years ago. It is uh, maybe a passing resemblance. (laughs) Not even. They share a title. Yes. uh, And that's it. Because the Lawnmower Man short story involves a guy who hires a lawnmower service 
And then what ends up happening is there's a nude man <laughs> who eats the grass. Like it, it's just like this weird, like kind of like he is yeah, a mostly lawnmower comic. man. The lawnmower man, yeah, he's like the lawnmower man. He goes around, and he just like like you know, he <laughs> takes off all his clothes and he eats the grass in the backyard. <sighs> And um, it ties in with like some Greek mythology in some way, but it's like, it's so completely <laughs> removed from the, you know, cybernetic thriller that I remember from watching yes. on, on VHS in the 90s. Yeah, that classic myth where Zeus comes down from the sky and fucks a lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we have grass. He was disguised yeah. as a goose, so no one could have known. Is, is that the collection that has apt pupil in it? Or am I thinking of a different No, one? apt pupil is in a later collection, I think, yeah. Survivor type and the jaunt are probably my two favorite of his, but mm. apt pupil is like solid third. Yeah, this one I think the most famous one is Children of the Corn mm. is in it. Mm. Okay. And uh it also has like some that are really like anchored in the time it was written. Like one's called Quitters Inc., which is just oh, about like a that. company that helps you quit smoking, you know, back <laughs> when that was like a huge thing. Is there an mm-hmm. ominous twist? Oh, there's an ominous twist. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's basically like the, the Quitters Inc. works by they threaten your loved one if you don't quit smoking. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like with, with violence. Mm. Kind of rules. It's Yeah, it kind of rules. It's kind of goofy, but it's like, I don't know. I like it. I love it. Nick, what's popping other than Stevie King, which I could talk your ear off about for, you know, three hours because I'm a huge King stan. Have you checked out the Just King Things podcast? No. It's a great show. You should check it out. All right. Especially as a King fan. So I have a book of my own. It's this book called Hello Sleep by Jade Wu, PhD. And it is basically about insomnia, which is a thing that I've oh, dealt with same. since I was like 12 years old. And this is a subject I've read a lot about. I've talked with sleep specialists. I've had, you know, I've done the overnight studies. Same, same. I've done all that shit. I've tried medication, self-medicated with alcohol and with pot. And I just like, this is a much more like kind of like holistic approach that's also like kind of, you know, addressing a lot of misconceptions that people have, particularly insomniacs. And also it like focuses so much on the feedback loop of when you're worried you can't sleep, that actually makes you not sleep in the same way that like, you know, you start having, I I have panic attacks. You feel like you're having a panic attack and you're like, oh my God, I'm having a panic attack and that exacerbates your panic attack. It's the same sort of thing. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm like halfway through it right now. Uh, I think that this is like, Again, a subject I've read a lot about, and this feels like a a pretty novel approach to it. So I would say anyone who has any sort of, you know, has ongoing sleep problems, particularly insomnia, worth looking into. Check it out from your library or what have you. I love it. Awesome. Yeah, that's my rec. Fellow insomnia sufferer, but I don't love insomnia, but that book sounds cool. Yeah. Brian, what's popping? And is it Yacht Rock from the 70s? It is not, shockingly. Uh... (gasps) It's from the 80s. (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, our friend, recent guest on the show, Chalky, basically put together a little show for his birthday. The headlining act being him and a bunch of people dressed as the Blue Man Group playing Weezer's Blue Album, which, (laughs) sure. Uh, Unfortunately, actually, it was too late. I couldn't say that. There were three acts. Him, like a Fishbone-style ensemble featuring one of the sax player from Fishbone, a.k.a. Dr. Mad Vibes now, who's fucking great. And the opening act, which is what's popping for me this week, it is a Japanese punk duo called Electric Machine Gun Tits. And they're on Bandcamp. It's great. 
the main vocalist uh, is uh, Naoko Nozawa, and she's just like these kind of screaming, slightly out of tune vocals. Uh, they play, I can't remember the songs they played. Where the fuck is Hello Kitty's Mouth? Uh, sex, ramen, <laughs> rock and roll. And so they had like a drum track. And then a dude, the other guy, I wrote his name, Toro Fujimoto, played like real distorted guitar riffs over it. And she would scream sing. And it was like, great. During sex, ramen, rock and roll, she was handing out noodles to people, like feeding noodles to people with tongs from a fanny pack. It was <laughs> so great. Just find them on Bandcamp, check out their music. It, it was fantastic. I want to know where the fuck is Hello Kitty's right. mouth? And is it a know. cloaca type situation? Well, they, you're going to have to listen to the song to find out, Layton. How but many yeah, times oh. have I referenced anything having a cloaca on this show? Because it's got to be at least a dozen. A yeah, no, it's definitely a lot. I just love the concept of a cloaca. It's really funny. One hole that does it all. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. So it's time for our final segment, which is typically peaches and lemons, in which we do three things that we're grateful for or excited about and one thing that is a minor bummer or annoyance because we are running a little short on time here because we're just having too much fun with our guest. We are going to do one peach each and one lemon each, but the theme song is for one peach each, so that goes right here. One peach, one peach each, one peach, one peach each, one peach, one peach each, one peach, one peach each. Incredible. That's maybe one of my favorite segment themes for the show is One Peach Each that I didn't think we were going to use outside of the one episode we made it for, but that continues to be useful. So we will each start with one lemon. I will go first. My lemon is that I think it's pretty bullshit that I always have to send emails, right? Like you always got to send emails and then you put Fuck it off emails. and then you do it. And then your reward yeah. for sending emails is that you get more emails. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then if you really need, if yes. you're waiting on an email, it won't come. But 10 more emails that you do not want to get ping pong back to you. Yep. They're, they're there. They're bad. They're bad for productivity. They, so they, they have the illusion of moving things along, but really they just bottleneck. Sucks. Yeah. So that's my lemon. What about you guys? My lemon is, so a friend of mine who is passing through town on tour, actually tomorrow, told me about a week ago, he said, I'm going to order something and I'm going to get it shipped to your place if that's okay. Yep, that's great. Yesterday, a package shows up addressed to me. I open it up. It's a bottle of cologne from someone I don't know. And I'm like, who the fuck is sending me? <laughs> That how did they get my address? Is this a fan who found out where I lives? live? I spiraled for about 10 minutes because it was from uh, Vancouver. And I was like, what? Some Canadian hmm, is sending me- We don't know me, any Canadians. Is, well, is sending me cologne. And only at like 11.30 at night, I was like, oh, fuck. This is the thing I've been expecting all week. So it was the most avoidable- mental freak out I could have possibly had. I was expecting it. I knew it was coming. I knew the day it was coming. And somehow just the two points didn't connect. But does it smell good? Well, of course I opened up and I used the whole bottle right away. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's great. I'm getting wafts of it from here. <laughs> He's fucked now. Yeah. <laughs> but, All right, yeah. Nick, you got a lemon? I have a lemon and I apologize if this is too A to B, but I thought I'd keep it fruit related. Great. Uh, Into it. This is a drum I've been beating for a while. I think apples have gotten too big. <laughs> An apple 
should be one serving size. Like that should be like, I'm having a snack. I'm having an apple. Mm-hmm. I feel like apples you get these days from a grocery store. There's big like softball things. Yes. Like take like 10 minutes to eat. And you're sick of your apple by the time you're like halfway through it. And yes. it's browning it's like, Give me already. a reasonably sized apple. Exactly. Yeah. And there are too many. I can no longer keep, keep straight, which are the good ones. I know Red Delicious are bad. Granny Smith are generally not acceptable. But now we're past Honeycrisp. Ten years ago, Honeycrisp was like the deal. <laughs> Ten years ago, Honeycrisp was king. What the fuck happened? Yes. Yeah, now there's like Sweet Tango or whatever the fuck that is. The names are just terrible. I, I don't understand any of them, and I can't keep straight what the apples are. Too much going on with apples in general. I agree that the size is too big, then too many categories. I was talking with someone earlier today about this. I was having a Fuji apple, and they're like, oh, yeah, I have a Fuji uh, when I can't find an Envy. And I was like, <laughs> what? I was not even thinking about Envy apples until like, I heard about those like last year. Yes. And now same. they become a thing where some people are like, only Envy apples. That's that's it. I will say, I will shout out one particular apple varietal, which I got at the farmer's market, which if anyone has an eye out for this, if you see this anywhere, treat yourself. Uh, it's my favorite apple I've ever had, an Arkansas black. Oh, never heard of it. a very dark color peel. It's crisp. It's not mealy at all. And it's like that perfect balance of sweetness and tartness that you want in an apple. So that's one that I I wish was more widespread. That's a gorgeous looking apple. Wow. Some article I read years ago, I guess University of Minnesota is like ground zero for apple hybridization. And wow, it's kind of haphazard, right? They're just like, what about some of this and some of this? Fuck it. Let's try it. And they just keep going until they get one that that kind of works. So it's a it's the Wild West out there for Apple variety. <laughs> Those crazy scientists are going too far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. It's time for us to each do one peach each. Who would like to go first? I can go first because I brought a prop. <coughs> Whoa. Wow. So this is, as many things I say, uh, kid related. So are you guys familiar with the Percy Jackson books? Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, I haven't read them, but I know what they are. Harry Potter, but with Greek gods. Right. Instead of witches and wizards, it's <laughs> Harry Potter, but the author isn't a total giant piece of shit. Yeah. Also, also that. Although, actually, I don't know anything about Rick Riordan. So, oh, he wrote those books because his son has ADHD, and the main character in those books does. Like, they're really great, like, representation books across, like, they're yeah. amazing. I loved them as well, a kid, and they're great. What's really cool about it, actually, in that regard is in the world of the book, ADHD is something that manifests in demigods, aka half-bloods, half-humans, half-gods. And the ADHD is because they were like constantly ready for battle. So the ADHD is like an evolved thing that comes from their heritage of Mm -hmm. learning how to fight. And all as is also dyslexia. It's because their brains are primed for Greek, but, you know, so they mix up the letters in English. They started his bedtime stories that he was telling his sons. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. So anyway, one of the center main locations in the books is Camp Half-Blood, which is where the demigods, who are mostly teenagers, go to learn how to be, you know, be in the world, fight monsters and that kind of stuff. And because somebody out there is very smart, they made it real. They have a real Camp Half-Blood that they have multiple, you know, locations of all over the country, maybe even the world. But there's probably 20 places around the U.S. that have real camp half-bloods. So they're summer camps. You go for a week or whatever. And my daughter, Audrey, has been very into the Percy Jackson books. We're reading them together. And she is going to Camp Half-Blood. So we got her first sword. (gasps) Look at that. So what you do is you get out of duct tape and foam and like other stuff, they make swords and shields and go fight monsters. 
That is so cool. Right. How have we not talked about this? I don't know. She was like waving this around. I mean, do I want a even foam weapon that I might get hurt with in my house? I guess that's my choice. Yeah, but it looks like they could do some damage. 100%. I mean, it's it's not too bad, but it is it is a thing that could potentially, you know, hurt if placed in the wrong place. But she is so excited. It came with a scroll that was tied up, which had a little description. You get to pick who your god is. I believe she's a daughter of Athena, I think. And is she's she a, just like uh, Annabeth? over the moon. Stan, because yes. I yes, was a big lo- Annabeth Stan loves Annabeth. Kid. Loves Annabeth. So yeah, she's very excited for Camp Half-Blood, which is in like a month, six weeks, something like that. Wow. That's so yeah, cool. So now I have a foam sword. Love it. Why, why do you think those books have not gotten like a proper adaptation? I know they tried one of them. They have two. Oh, they have two. Okay. Yeah, and they're bad. They're, they're really very bad. bad. Yeah. They, they cast Alexandra Daddario as Annabeth, which I love her, but... She's great. It's one of those things where they're like, in the books, they go constantly out of their way to say how blonde she is and yeah. then immediately cast this dark hair girl. Like, she looks exactly like Percy Jackson, too, and they're like love interests. And it's like, you guys look like siblings. This is weird. Yeah. I, that's very Greek mythology of you, but weird. Bad CGI, <laughs> boring. Yeah. Steve Coogan's in it, which should be great. You would think Steve Coogan would be amazing, but he, they don't give him anything. It's, yeah. Uma it's, Thurman, like a totally wasted, thankless Medusa, like. Man, All, unlocking they're not fun. Here. That's that's no. the problem. They're just not fun. Yeah. So it feels very uh, by the book. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Wire. You got a peach? I'm going to have mine be pedicures in general. Mm-hmm. This is a thing I started getting in the past few years as a little bit of a self-care. I got one this past weekend. What a, what a way to, to treat yourself. Pretty great. Anyone who doesn't get a pedicure, if you're a little skittish about your feet, if you're a little ticklish as I am, they know how to manage that. I'm on my feet so much and just having someone take care of them and making them kind of look good, you know, like, like I, I don't know, it makes me feel good about myself. So yeah. I like I can't quite handle a massage. That's like a little bit too much like contact for me. I've done them before, but but like a pedicure is like the right balance of just getting a little TLC uh, for my tootsies. I, I don't know. I guess I could try. <laughs> let me see if I can get this on on camera here. I don't know if oh, I is this a, I'm going to see it. Yeah, wait, hold on. No, I might have to. Let me see if I can do this. I might have to back it up. It might be too Whoa. small. This is exciting. Folks who aren't on the Patreon, you're really missing out. Yes, you want to see this. No, hold no, that, that backfired. Hold on. For listeners, we lost the feed because Nick tried to show us his feet. <laughs> yeah. Send Gaster got too horny and overloaded. <laughs> yeah. No, this was fully my fault. Rest assured, they looked great. God bless you. I think what happened is I was moving around. I must have pulled a cable. That's all good. Did anyone not do a peach? I didn't do my peach. My peach is that, you know, as mentioned on this show, and Jory has been mentioned very often on this show, this episode in particular, because the horror game that Jory created that I co-wrote and did some, some art for is coming out on June 1st. And that is new information, I guess. It's called Homebody. You can say that now. Yeah, I can say that. By the time this comes out, I can say that. So Homebody is available on Steam and other stuff. And it's a psychological horror puzzle game with slasher vibes. And if you like the humor and writing of Dream Daddy, it's like, what if that was really fucked up and depressing and everyone's dying? So you should play it. It'll be fun. Great. That's my peach. I'm just, I'm really stoked to see people play it because 
I've played it and it's fun. And it's the kind of game that is very fun to watch other people play because even if you know when the jump scares are coming, they still get you. <laughs> I love it. Well, congratulations. I just wish listed it in real time. Congratulations. Wow. If you want a Steam key, I would be happy to give you one. Oh, you don't have to do that. I'm happy to buy it. But but thank you for offering. This looks rad. This, aesthetically, this is so cool. Isn't it? Right? I'm so excited because he's been working on it since like right after Dream Daddy came out. So finally seeing it all come together and like yes. I have some of my own 3D models in the game and I've done some 2D art for it and <laughs> wrote a shit ton. Uh, so that's, that's so great. That's so cool. That's, that's awesome. my peach. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Yes. Nick, thank you so much for being here. I don't know. A couple of years ago, we were like, dream guests. Who do we want? Your name is top of the list. Oh, God bless and you. And it is so exciting to have you on here. We're both big fans. And, you know, it's really, it's just been awesome to talk to you. That's so nice. I was not having the best day earlier. And this was oh, an I'm absolute, sorry. this was an absolute delight to talk to the two of you. It really, really brightened my mood. I'm so, so glad. Thank you so much. That, that's exactly yeah. how my day has gone too. <laughs> so I don't know what's in the water right now, but it, it you know, turns it around. I yeah. appreciate yeah. it. If people want to check out Doughboys or anything else you're doing, or if you want to point anybody towards ways they can support the WGA, like, yeah. If people want to join a picket line and anyone can do that, if you're in the LA or New York area, like you don't have to be a member to picket. We've had, like I mentioned, we had a retired teacher come by and picket with us today. We had a retired bus driver come by last week. You can go to WGAContract2023.org and there is a schedule of pickets, picket sites and um, times. Generally, they are pretty much from, you know, nine to five it may vary depending on the particular location in the city. But yeah, WGAContract2023.org. That also has some general info on, you know, just whatever the hell this thing is because it's pretty straightforward. It really is just a thing about these media companies have more and more money and that the people writing their content, which makes them billions, are being paid less and less. But there are some more, you know, granular details if you want to get into that. And another thing I want to shout out is... The Entertainment Community Fund, you can find it at entertainmentcommunity.org. I honestly think if you're looking for something to support financially, this is not for writers, but for like the support staff, uh, other crew, um, you know, writers assistants, production assistants, people who work on these script supervisors, who work on these shows and movies and who have been, are currently, you know, not working because of this work stoppage. That's a way where people can get grants if they work in the industry and they're currently unemployed. So yeah, if you're looking for someplace to direct some dollars, entertainmentcommunity.org. That's awesome. And yeah, I got, I got a podcast about chain restaurants, Doughboys, and a podcast about video games get played. Check them out. Great. Amazing. Thanks, everyone, awesome. for joining us. And have a great gamer day. <laughs> God, I'm so good at ending this show. I didn't want to yeah. say the cum line that we do sometimes, but... Say the cum line. Say the cum line. Come on, say the cum line. Everyone All wants right, to hear the cum line. All right, everybody. Stay safe. Come hard. Yeah. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.